Hey everyone, you're listening to an Acts Church sermon. If you have not heard of us before, you can check us out at www.axcamus.org or come check us out on a Sunday. All right, here is the sermon. We hope God blesses you through it. I don't know what people really think about me, and neither do you, and I don't know what the hearts of other people are, and neither do you, right? We don't know what other people's hearts are. I met with a friend this week, uh, doesn't, doesn't come to, to this church, but a long, long time, lifelong friend of mine, and he was dealing with some anxiousness about a woman who he's dating, and wanted to talk about that. And he, he's had some difficult times in the past, my friend has, and while this woman that he's dating seems to really care for him, he wonders whether it's real or whether it's a deception, just based on his past experience and things like that, and his own heart and things like that. He doesn't know whether it's real, even though it looks real. Does she really care for him? Is he safe to be emotionally vulnerable with her? I don't know, I told him. <laughs> he doesn't know. You don't know. We don't know. God knows, right? We never truly and fully know the hearts of those we love. We never truly know. But we certainly hope that their hearts are true to us. We certainly hope that they're faithful to us. Whether it's a friendship or a loving family relationship like your children or your spouse, we invest ourselves in these relationships. And we hope and we trust that these people are going to be faithful to us, not just in what they do and what we can see, but with what's in their heart. But sometimes they are not. And more importantly, sometimes you are not, we are not faithful. Our relationship with God is the most important relationship that we have in our lives, period. And God can see our hearts. And even though we know he can see our hearts, we still aren't even faithful to him. We covet We run off after all kinds of things, trying to feel our value from money or from sex or power or position or title or thumbs up emojis on social media or addiction or hobbies. We cheat, right? Do you know that we as a church are the bride of Christ? That's who we are. This is what it says in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. It says, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present himself, her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. We are Jesus Christ's bride. And he knows our hearts, and yet we sin. We miss the mark. We put other things before him. We look for love and affection in other places instead of in Jesus Christ. And as a result, we find ourselves in all kinds of trouble. All kinds of trouble. That's what happens with adultery. Adultery causes pain. It is betrayal. It harms and it breaks the vows that we've made, our promises to God. Adultery is ugly and it's sinful and it's brutal. But praise God for his unstoppable power and grace, because without it, we would all be lost. We would all be lost. Our adultery against God is not always, or even primarily, in what we do. It's not always in what we do. It begins in our hearts. It begins with not believing 
that Jesus is enough. Not believing that Jesus is enough. It begins with believing that following the commands of Christ will not really give us what we want. It begins with putting ourselves in situations where temptations will be inflamed. If I come to your house, and I might, and I walk into your house and you have some chocolate chip cookies just coming out of the oven, and right there on the table you've got some cold milk, like it's almost got the ice crystals and it's just cold, hot chocolate chip cookies. I can tell you, I can predict, I can prophesy what is going to happen next. Pastor Dave is going to eat some cookies and drink some milk. I mean, it would be rude not to, right? That's what I tell myself. I know myself well. I know myself well. So if I'm trying to eat healthy and watch what I'm eating, I'm going to stay away from where the fresh chocolate chip cookies are coming out of the oven because I know myself. If God has told me not to eat chocolate chip cookies and I hang out at the chocolate chip cookie bakery factory all day, I'm not honoring him. I'm putting myself in a bad position. The heart decision happens when I decide that his command is going to get in the way of what I think my happiness will be. Then it goes further when I put myself in the position to inflame my own temptations. The actual eating of the cookies came long after the adultery. Came long after my adultery to God took place. The adultery took place in my heart took place in my heart. Now, thank God, he has not commanded us not to eat chocolate chip cookies because they are really, really good. And please don't bring me a plate of chocolate chip cookies this week because you'd be an amazing person if you did that. No, I'm kidding. Don't, really don't bring them. I've seen these sermon videos and hunters just had to order wide lenses just to get me in the frame. So don't, don't do that. Plus, Buff will get mad at me because he's my accountability partner for not getting fat. Um, great job. You know, no, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. That's all on me. He's really mean to me. Um, we have been in a series called Right Side Up. Right Side Up. And we have been studying through Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount and seeing how life in Christ in the kingdom of God is upside down to the world, to society, to culture, but right side up in reality. Now let's get into the scripture we're going to study this week. This is in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. If you have your Bible, you can grab it. If not, it'll be on this ginormous screen behind me. It says this, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, that's some pretty serious stuff. Some of you are familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? You shall not murder, you shall not covet, you shall not watch additional episodes of a Netflix series that you were watching with your wife after she falls asleep because she fell asleep early. 
That last one is from the message translation, so. <laughs> it's not, it's not. Uh, that's not in there. For some of you, are like, this is my first time in church. I had no idea God knew about Netflix. He doesn't. He does, but he didn't care about it. Okay. The seventh commandment is this. You shall not commit adultery. Now, what is adultery? Many of you know it is a married person having sex with someone who is not their spouse. That's the traditional definition of adultery. But here Jesus is telling us that adultery is much more than just a sexual act. It's much more than just that thing that we do. Adultery begins in the heart. Now, marriage is a covenant relationship, a relationship of promises to God about one another. Adultery breaks that covenant. Now, we're going to get a chance, Lord willing, to get into uh, covenant, promise, oath, vow, those types of things when we get into just a, just a few uh, passages later here in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to get into that, hopefully, Lord willing. Um, but for now, I just want to talk about two types of adultery. Two types of adultery. I want to study adultery against your spouse and adultery against God. Every time that you commit adultery against your spouse, you always are committing adultery against God. But there's a lot of other ways that we commit adultery against God. Every time we put anything, anything before God, you commit adultery against him. Let's, let's focus on the application of the passage first. It says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, Jesus is comparing lust to adultery. He's saying that for a man to look at a woman that is not his wife and lust after her is adultery. The same thing as having sex with a woman that's not his wife. And what was the punishment in the Old Testament for that? They both got stoned. Not Northwest-style stoned. Rocks, right? Stoned to death. That's what happened. It was a very, it is a very, it was a very serious thing. But we live in a society that is just drunk on sexuality. It's just drunk on lust. Pornography is rampant for both men and now for women too. More and more and more. And sexual immorality is so common that those who hold the view of sexuality that Jesus Christ commands are laughed at in our culture now. They're laughed at. If you suggest that someone should not view pornography and masturbate, or that unmarried people should not sleep with each other, you are considered a prude. You're a prude. It's considered repressive or even harmful to teach your children these things. Do you know that? There's a documentary that they show on public schools now, or at least in one public school that I know about, that argues that fathers who teach their daughters to save sexuality for marriage, to save it for the marriage bed, are actually harming their children. That's a harmful thing to tell your daughters that. That's a repressive thing. This is upside down. It's upside down. This upside down view of the world is very, very jacked up. And Jesus is coming with a right side up view. The truth that Jesus Christ is preaching into that darkness. And his truth is simply and fully rejected by our culture. Absolutely rejected by our coach. Let me make something clear. Jesus teaches that there is one, one context for sexual intimacy. Okay? You can write this one down if you need to, because culture may have messed you up. Here it is. You ready? A lifelong covenant marriage between one man and one woman. 
That's it. Period. There is no, but what about, no. But what about, no. Lifelong covenant relationship marriage between one man and one woman. Sex does not happen outside of that context. Period. In any way. There is no other context. All other expressions of sexuality are sinful. I know that's not what you're going to hear on television. That's not what you're going to hear in culture. I know that's not what society practices. I know that even the idea that God created man and woman as separate and glorious creations in themselves is no longer popular. The idea that a man is a man and a woman is a woman and that God did that on purpose and that there was a reason for it and that there's glory in it, that's, that's no longer accepted either. For that matter, the idea that God exists or created at all is more and more up for debate with people these days. So go figure. And I'm not here to get political. I'm not trying to be hateful or judgmental or lift some sins up against others. That's not what I'm about here. God knows my heart. I love you. I love anybody who's listening to this, uh, who's watching this video. I love everybody in this room. I'm not here to be difficult. God loves you. I love you. But that's why I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth because I love you. This is God's design and plan for human sexuality. It's the only one there is. I know that some people, maybe you're in here, you're checking it out. You're like, what are these people doing uh, over in this building? Uh, you know, what's going on over there? What's this Christianity thing about? And I know that for some people, they think that Christians are obsessed with sex. That is to say this, that Christians are obsessed with judging people for sexual sin while they ignore basically every other sin. That's what a lot of people think. I'm not here to speak for other Christians. I, I can't speak for them. I can tell you this. Sin is, is terrible. All sin is terrible. All sin is adultery against God. All of it. All sin causes pain. All sin separates us from our beautiful and wonderful, amazing Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Period. Not one is lifted up above another. And I'll also tell you that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the dead on the third day and that you can be forgiven and clean and right with him through the power of his blood. So while sin is terrible, God is good. But the reason we're talking about sex isn't because we're obsessed with sex. The reason we're talking about sex is because this is what Jesus taught about. And I'm not going to hide it from you just because culture may think something different. Jesus teaches that sexual immorality is a terrible sin. Because it is. Because it is. If you are looking for a church body where people are going to look at your sexual sin and not say anything, or say something like, well, we're all sinners, so just work on it if you happen to have the time, you're in the wrong place. Don't let the light show fool you. We teach scripture here. We teach scripture here. We are serious about scripture, and we're serious about loving you. And loving you starts with honesty. Honesty. It starts with telling you the truth. And here's the truth. Sexual sin will destroy you. It will destroy you. Culture says, no big deal. It's not no big deal. It's a big deal. It will destroy you. It's not no big deal that men are going online and looking at naked women and satisfying themselves sexually. That's not no big deal. It's not no big deal that the women who are being used by evil people 
to make pornography are being treated as things instead of people. That's not no big deal. They're being used as things rather than seen as women made in the image and likeness of God. That's not no big deal. It's not no big deal to God, and so it's not no big deal to us. It's not no big deal. It's not just an oh well kind of sin. It mocks God. It mocks his creation. It dehumanizes women, and it's adultery according to Jesus Christ. It is the breaking of your vows. For those of you who are not married, you can't commit adultery because you're not married, right? It is what scripture calls fornication then. Whether it's adultery or whether it's fornication, it's dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing the women that you are using on the other side of that phone screen or that computer or tablet or TV or whatever ways you've got to do it now. You are dehumanizing that person. Even if it's just some person you're thinking about in your own mind, you are dehumanizing them. You're treating them as a thing. And you're dehumanizing yourself because you're using the unique and special gift of sexuality as a means to an end. As a means to an end, rather than treating people as an end in themselves. You are treating your own self like you're just a meat sack. You're acting like your body is nothing more than a machine to be pleasured whenever you feel like it, rather than a vessel created by God for good works that you might walk in them. Every time. Every time you do it, that's what you're saying to God. Every time you do it, that's what you're saying to your spouse. Every time you do it, that's what you're saying to the people who are being used and oppressed in this industry. Every time. There's no exception. God has told us what's right. It's not no big deal. For those of you who are living in a lifestyle of sexual sin, stop. Stop. Not try to work on it. Stop. Kill it. Stop now. Jesus makes it clear. This is what he says. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Let me tell you something. By hell, Jesus does not mean a time out for a minute. He means hell, because adultery is a big deal. By gouge out your eye and toss it from you and cut off your hand and toss it from you, Jesus does not mean just try to do better. It's not what he's saying. We're all human, so who cares, really? It's not what he's saying. He means stop now. This is serious. D.A. Carson writes this. Our generation treats sin lightly. Sin in our society is better thought of as aberration or as illness. It is to be treated, not condemned and repented of. It must not be suppressed for fear of psychological damage. This is how Satan has deceived us. We are sitting around acting like sin is no big deal, even in the church. Even in the church, more and more now, when society starts turning upside down, we start turning upside down with them. We still think that because there's some separation, the church may still be a little bit far away from where, where society is. We feel like that that means that it's okay. But we're not just called to be separated by a little bit. We're called to stand on the rock, to not be moved at all. We don't move with culture. 
We don't do that. Because when we do that, where is society left? What have we done to them? We have removed the anchor and the foundation. We have hidden the light of the world. Do you remember? Just a little while ago, he said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You hide that when you let the world turn you upside down with it. And you leave everyone in darkness. That's not going to happen. Not here. You may not like what Jesus has to say. That's your choice. I understand that. I hope you'll still listen. You may not like how hard it is. You may not like how firm it is. You may want to soften Jesus' commands. Or you may want to interpret all the meaning out of Jesus' commands. That's your choice. There's a consequence for it, but that's your choice. But the people of God, his children, Christ's church, will go on. Will go on proclaiming the good news of salvation and proclaiming the way to a life of freedom and hope and peace and joy. And part of that life is the truth that sexual immorality will harm you and will harm others. It is a sin. It does separate us. Every time God gives us a command, it's for our good. It's for our good. But the reason he has to give us the command is because we cannot always see the good that's in front of us. The world is broken. It's broken. People say things like, my boyfriend will think I don't love him if I don't sleep with him. Then he won't marry me. And I know God wants me to get married, so I have to sleep with my boyfriend. Or, you don't understand. My husband has become so boring. And this other man makes me feel happy and special. Well, God wants me to feel happy and special. So I need to leave my husband and go get with this other man. Or, I'm not hurting anyone with my pornography addiction. No one else knows about it. Well, God knows. You know. Or, we're consenting adults and we love each other. And God's all about love. So how could God be against us having sex? In every case, what we're saying is, we know better than God. He's given us a clear command and we're saying, it's not really what he means, or we think this other thing's more important, or whatever we'd say, we'd say, we know better than God. In every case, we find a justification for why we're going to break God's commands, for why it's okay. And every time we break God's commands, we break his heart. That's just a fact. We break his heart because he loves us. Earlier I was talking about you don't really know what other people are thinking. Well, he knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what's in your heart. His commands are given so that we will thrive. He wants that force. It breaks his heart when we do things that get in the way of that. But we can't always see it. We cannot always see it. We cannot always understand it. So we replace God's wisdom with our justifications. That's what we do. We replace his wisdom with our justifications. That's a mistake because his commands are for our peace, our shalom, wholeness, and our joy. And when we justify enough and we try to fit in with the world enough, we sin and we approve of others who sin. 
Romans 1 makes it clear. It says this in Romans 1, 28 through 32. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, knowing, having read it, having had it preached, having studied it, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. You have a calling in Christ. You have a calling in Christ. Live righteously and speak the truth in love. Let me tell you the truth in love. Lust is a vile sin. And it is destroying families and it is destroying individuals. Pornography is destroying people. It is destroying our children. It is destroying the promises and vows made by married couples to one another. Adultery is wrong. All sex outside of a committed lifelong marriage between one man and one woman is wrong. Scripture could not be more clear about it. No matter how much people want to try to twist it and do whatever so they can keep turning upside down with the world and taking the light that we are to the world and darkening it so that we can get along, so that we can avoid confrontation, so that we can, so that we can be one of, the, one of the fellas. We're not one of the fellas. Loving the world is enmity with God. Choose. Choose. I don't mean loving the people in the world. We ought to do that. But going after the things and letting what Jesus has clearly told us to do be thrown aside so that we can commit adultery and approve of those who do, because misery loves company after all, will destroy our witness. And I want to see people saved. I want to see people come to know Jesus Christ. If we darken the light that we are to the world, they're not going to be coming here for it. If I told you something different, I'd be lying to you. And I won't do that. Lord willing, I won't lie to you. Would it be easier to just go along? In the short term, it would be. And it looks like a lot of people are making that choice. I'm not calling out any individual Christians or any individual pastors or whatever. I'm not about that. You, can, you have Google. Right? Most of you. Some of you are kind of old. <laughs> Just kidding. We won't do that. We won't do that. Not because we don't love people, but because we do love people. Not because we're bigots, but because we're full of love for people. Do you think that Jesus said the things he said because he was a bigot and hateful? That's why he died on the cross for us? No. It's because he loves us. And we'll speak the truth because we love you. Now, there's also really good news. Because contrary to what culture is telling you, and this is great for you young folks and people who are single, guess what? Sex isn't everything. But I, but wait, I, Netflix, wait, I, no. Sex isn't everything. 
Romance isn't everything. Kissing in the rain, running in slow motion to one another <laughs> is not everything. Marriage isn't everything. If it becomes everything, it's gotten in the wrong spot. You can actually, I know this is crazy, you can actually be happy, blessed, peaceful, and joyful without thinking about sex all the time. Fellas. Ladies are like, I know. <laughs> what are you talking about? We need to take the commands of Jesus Christ seriously. There's a lot more to life than sex. Jesus is being very serious here. Adultery begins in the heart. And we need to guard our hearts. Do not destroy your spouse. Do not destroy your future spouse. Do not destroy yourself through adultery. Don't do it. Since we're talking about marriage for a second, I'm going to talk about a use, a way we use the word marriage. Especially a way we use the word marriage when things aren't going well, when things are going bad. People say things to me because I'm a pastor. People come up to me when they're having issues with their marriage. I'm having issues with my marriage, they'll say. They say things like, my marriage is cold. My marriage is tedious. My marriage is not exciting enough. But what they really mean is my spouse is cold. My spouse is tedious. My spouse is not exciting enough. That's what they really mean. How do I know that's what they really mean? Because I'm a lawyer. Let me explain. I've dealt with a lot of contracts with a lot of clients who, are, who had contracts. Um, and contracts are essentially just a set of promises between people. That's what contracts are. I promise to pay you such and such amount of money if you will come and build my shelving unit. That's a contract. I will pay your company such and such an amount of money for this particular mail order bride. That's how I ended up marrying Tiffany. <laughs> I, I knew you were wondering. I thought I'd just get it out there. NorwayMailOrderBrides.com See, some of the young guys are getting their phones out and trying to pretend. It's the Bible app, but I'm looking. There's no Norway mailorderbrides.com, fellas, okay? <laughs> no, there really isn't. Put your phone down. Um, I did not order Tiffany from a mail order site. She just has really poor eyesight, and so that worked out. Anyway, contracts. When clients come to me upset about a contract... They are almost never complaining about the contract itself. They are complaining about the person on the other side of the contract. That's what they're doing. She did a bad job with that shelving unit. He didn't pay me what he said he'd pay me. It's not about the contract. It's about the actions of the other person. Okay? People don't say, oh, we're really having a struggle. We're really, we have a bad contract. We have a rough contract. My contract is bad. They say, that person over there, that dude, messed up. That's what they say. It's not the promises they made to each other that they're complaining about. It's the other person. It's the same way people are with their marriages. Someone saying, I have a bad marriage, usually means in their heart, I have a bad spouse. That's what they're saying. Because here's the thing. Marriage is ordained by God. It is a covenant relationship. It has been part of God's good 
creation since before the fall of man. Before sin, God instituted and ordained marriage. So it is not your marriage that is troubled. It's you and possibly your spouse, but probably you. Just so we're clear, marriages don't fail. That language, we shouldn't be using it. Marriages don't fail. People fail. People sin. And they break their covenant, and they break promises, and they break the vows of their marriage. That's what happens. Your marriage is good, for those of you who are married. Your marriage is a covenant relationship ordained by God from the beginning. Matthew 19, 3 through 6. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. So it is not your marriage that is troubled. It's you and your spouse that are troubled. It is you and your spouse who are not loving and honoring and cherishing each other. It is you and your spouse that are allowing selfishness to cause dissatisfaction. It is you and your spouse who are choosing work over one another. It is you and your spouse who are choosing alcohol over one another, or shopping over one another, or eating over one another, or sleep over one another, or video games, young men, over one another, or your children over one another, or adultery over one another. Now, why is it important to me that we change our language about marriage? Because when we say our marriage has problems or our marriage isn't working out, we're missing the real point. We have sin. We are being selfish. We are being unforgiving. We are being unloving. We are being disrespectful. We are being adulterous. Don't tell me your marriage didn't work out. Be honest. One or both of you broke your vows and broke the covenant of marriage because of your sin. That's the reality. Your marriage wasn't the problem. You and or your spouse was the problem. And some of you might be thinking, this is just semantics. This is just wordplay. You know, when we say uh, we're talking about our marriage, we're talking about the relationship. It's the relationship that has problems. No, it's not semantics. Your relationship is you. It's you. You and this other person. You and this other person in marriage, it should be you and the other person bound together with vows made to God and with him. Now, I know it's not God who messed up. That's the one I'm sure about in this equation. It's not him that's to blame. That leaves two. Two people. Doesn't leave, it's not the marriage. It's not the relationship. It's you. And I want to move away from treating marriage like it's this thing out there that may go good or may go bad. Like it's this thing, oh, well, there's our marriage. I hope it works out. When we talk about it like that, like that, we separate it from ourselves and our own sin. Marriage is a good thing. It's never the marriage that's bad. The more we think in these terms, the more we're separating ourselves from our marriages. The more we take responsibility for our own sin, and the more we look to Jesus for grace and healing, the better we're going to be. The better you're going to be, the better your spouse is going to be, and the better it's going to be to be in a marriage. Now, that may be kind of a side note for some of you or whatever, but it really is important the words we use. 
because they, they tend to get into our heads and our hearts and sort of dictate the way we think. We are responsible. We are responsible for how we treat our spouse. We are responsible for how we treat everybody. We are responsible. If you are looking with your eye at a woman that is not your wife and thinking sexually about her, you are an adulterer. If you, ladies, are looking at another man and or fantasizing about how it would be great to be with this guy or with that guy. Maybe it's not even a sexual thing. Maybe it's just an emotional thing. It's just an emotional affair. Yeah, it's adultery. You, when you start thinking, maybe this isn't the right one for me. Maybe I'd be better off over here. Maybe the grass is greener over there. That's where adultery starts to plant a seed in your heart. But it's important to all of us, whether you're married or not. Some of you are in here today, you're not married. It's important to you too. You know why? Because as a believer, as we discussed earlier, you're married to Jesus. You're married. We learned that we are the bride of Christ. We belong to Jesus. And just as adultery against our husband or our wife begins in the heart, adultery against the Lord begins in the heart. And just as a solution to adultery with your spouse is to gouge at your eye and cut off your hand, that's the same thing. The solution to adultery against God is the same. Now, let me be clear, because I don't want to get a bunch of people coming in next week, like, took care of it, pastor. <laughs> great sermon, great sermon. I mean, just really got to me. Right here. No, listen, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not what he's talking about. He's not asking you to actually gouge your eye out and cut your hand off. He's saying, Kill the sin. Kill it. Leave no place for it. Find it and kill it. We need to know ourselves. You need to know yourself. You need to know where you're tempted to put other things before Jesus Christ. We need to know where we are looking for our value in places other than Jesus Christ. You need to ask yourself, why am I doing these things? Why did I post this thing on social media? Why did I say that thing to my coworker? Why did I pretend that I knew that thing that I didn't really know? Why did I, and then just fill in the blank, why did I dress this way today? What am I trying to do? Am I trying to gain something from other people because I don't feel valuable enough in myself because I'm not getting my value from Jesus Christ? Is that what I'm doing? Because that's adultery. If your spouse goes out, dressed provocatively, male or female, and goes out, and it's very clear that what they're looking for is the looks and attentions of people from the opposite sex, you would not think that that person was being faithful to you. If you will not find your value and your affection and your love in Christ first and foremost, you are not being faithful to him. It's adultery. Why do you think adultery against your spouse happens? Because we start looking for that greener grass, like I said. We begin to get dissatisfied, and all hell breaks loose, literally. The same thing can happen with you and God. Same thing. You can begin to become dissatisfied with your life. You can begin to feel that you are not hearing from God, or you're not feeling it the way you like to feel it. <laughs> you can begin to desire things that are outside the commands of Jesus Christ. 
You can begin to wander, and that wandering starts in your heart. And before you know it, you're cheating on the Lord. What a disgusting thing that we do to commit adultery against the one that saved us. There's only one that we can truly trust completely, Jesus Christ. There's only one who was completely innocent and yet gave his life for us, Jesus Christ. There's only one who fixed our brokenness and loved us and died for us while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ. And yet we wonder. And yet we seek approval from people when Jesus is both telling us and proving to us through his cross and the empty tomb that he loves us completely, unconditionally, and unstoppably. He loves us. Jesus loves us. He forgives us. And yet we wander. Guard your heart. Guard your hearts. Why do we do these things? Let me tell you. Because we let fears creep in. This is for somebody today, I'm sure. For me first and then for some of you. We have fears that we will not feel loved enough. We have fears that we will not feel valuable, valued enough. We have fears that we will not feel joyful enough. We have fears that we will not have peace or that we won't have security or that we will be rejected or that we will suffer and not have help. We have fears of these things. And with each of these fears, our hearts become vulnerable to wandering. Our hearts become vulnerable to lusting after that which God has already promised that we will have fully in the Father's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. But we don't need to have these fears. That's the good news for today. We don't need to have anxieties. Listen to what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul and Timothy to write to the church at Philippi. This is Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, the shalom that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing. Do not fear. Do not let your fear lead to lusting after a replacement for your Savior and King. How many times in the Old Testament do we see Israel going off? And what does God call Israel? An adulterer. You're getting it on with every idol under every green tree. You've left the one who loves you. Don't let fear make you do that. Pray, be thankful, ask God for what you need, and you will have peace that will surpass your understanding. Remember I said we don't always understand, we don't always see why God has told us to do certain things, why his commands are there. Okay, fine. You don't understand, but you can have a peace, a shalom that surpasses all understanding. Pray. Beg God with thanksgiving in your heart and you will have peace. And God will give you an amazing faith and trust in him so that you don't wander. And that peace will guard your heart and mind. It will guard your heart and mind. Where does adultery start? In the heart. Where does murder start? In the heart. Where are these sins starting? In the heart. God promises us here that he will guard our heart and mind. 
And that means we'll have an amazing faith and trust in him. And we won't commit adultery against our precious Savior. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Trust him. Trust him and you won't be looking to other things to replace him. You won't be looking for a functional savior to replace your true savior. If you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit today, simple, confess your sin to God and repent. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will forgive you. He has forgiven me. He has already paid the price. Walk no longer in adultery and sexual immorality against your spouse, against your future spouse, against yourself, and most of all, walk no longer in adultery against Christ. Be forgiven, be cleansed, and have God create a clean heart and renew a right spirit in you. Read Psalm 51 if you want to see a beautiful, beautiful example of a heart that is broken and the desires to be cleaned. And we can have that. Confess, repent, and go sin no more. If you don't know Jesus, if you're kind of wondering about this kind of stuff, today's the day. Well, thanks for listening to that Acts Church sermon. We hope you got a lot out of it. If you did, we'd love it if you would comment or uh, give us a review or give the track a like. Uh, It really means a lot to us to hear back from people who have um, heard these sermons and have been impacted by it. So share your story with us. Share what is happening in your life um, that this is speaking into. And remember, you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast so that you can get all of our releases as soon as they come out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with more next week.